Hello, On Point and Jack Beatty fans. This is episode four of our special podcast series featuring weekly conversations with Jack, On Point's news analyst, where Jack brings us unique insights on America in our current political moment and what we really need to understand that we might not yet see. I'm Magna Chakrabarty, but you're here to listen to Jack, so hello there, Jack. Hello, Magna. Okay, so what's the headline for today's conversation? Uh, The line. We're going to talk about the line, a resonant metaphor for white working class uh, anxiety. Okay, so uh, actually the line that I'm thinking about right now is the picket line for the United Auto Workers. Is that part of this story? Uh, Well, it is. I mean, uh, it's this week. The president is walking a picket line, uh, a first. Okay. So we have that kind of line, but regarding a working class Americans, I think there's there's another line that you're talking about. So tell us more about that. Well, that's a line that um, uh, Arlie Russell Hochschild, a um, Berkeley sociologist, coined, uh, really used as an explanatory device in a really uh, canonical passage of political sociology contained in her book, Strangers in the Land, Anger and Mourning on the American Right. And her uh, metaphor of the line is based on years of research and interviews with um, white working class voters in Louisiana. And, And she says this metaphor, the line, this is the deep story these Americans tell themselves to make sense of the world. The story is this, quote, you are patiently standing in the middle of a long line stretching toward the horizon where the American dream waits. But as you wait, you see people cutting in line ahead of you. Many of these line cutters are black, beneficiaries of affirmative action, or welfare. Some are career-driven women uh, pushing into jobs never held by women before. And then there are immigrants, too many groups to name. As you wait in this unmoving line, you're you're being asked to feel sorry for them all. You have a good heart, but who is deciding who you should have compassion for? As you wait your turn, Obama, this was written in the Obama administration, is using the money in your pocket to help the line cutters. The government has become an instrument for redistributing your money to the undeserving. It is not your government anymore. It's theirs. And and one of her uh, subjects said, I live your analogy about this analogy. And she concludes with this last tagline, we blue-collar whites are in the same fix liberals think blacks are in. We resent it, and liberals don't get why we resent it. That's the line. That's the line that uh, that Donald Trump has, (laughs) in the sense of persuasion, has used to capture this vote, as he has, by, by double digits white working class vote. And it's it's the what Hawkshaw would say is what we need to understand 
about the deep story uh, white working class voters tell themselves. Oh, that's so interesting. And Jack, uh, I just did some quick Googling because I have to admit I hadn't heard of Arlie Russell Hochschild, but I see here that she's uh, Professor Emerita at the University of California, Berkeley, uh, whose research is focused on human emotions that underlie moral beliefs and practices over the years. That is really, really interesting. Okay, so this is the story, the the line, as she's put it, um, that emerges from all of her interviews, as you said, uh, with white working class Americans. Let's go back for a second. Jack, because why did you want to talk about this this week when last week we we were talking about black and Hispanic uh, working class Americans and their view of Joe Biden and the Democratic Party? Is there is there sort of a a counterpoint amongst the political statistics amongst white working class voters that you see? Yes, there is. Uh, Last week we talked about the uh, attrition, the really fall in support Uh, from minority uh, working-class voters for the Democrats, for Joe Biden. That uh, fall is nothing (laughs) compared to the the situation among the white working class. Trump is now up by 34 points over Biden uh, among the white working class. That's 14 points more than in 2020. And this is despite Biden's announcement in his State of the Union uh, speech of what he called uh, a blue-collar blueprint to rebuild America. It, 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 that message isn't getting through. And uh, if it doesn't, he's in severe trouble because a shift of just a, a one point uh, more uh, from what he got in 220 uh, for Trump from the white working class would simulation say tip Arizona, Georgia, to Trump, and a shift of two points would would deliver Pennsylvania to Trump. Uh, Biden is in real trouble. The Democrats are among the white working class. Okay. So this is so fascinating, Jack, for so many reasons, uh, chief of which Joe Biden comes from that more or less sort of middle-ish background, middle class background. Um, I don't know if we can call him working class safely. I know his parents uh, and grandparents were. Um, But as you're right, in a week where he's throwing his support behind the United Auto Workers. But this deep story that uh, you quoted as as Hochschild's you know, sharing after all these interviews she did in Louisiana. Do you think that the specificity around that deep story that Joe Biden um, understands in his bones? Uh, I don't know. I think he does. And I think uh, part part of the reason why we mentioned last week he hasn't delivered for African-American voters. (laughs) Part of the reason is he understands the line metaphor all too well. He understands that any government program seeming to target the dilemma of minority groups will do nothing but cost him more votes among white working class voters. So he understands it in his political bones. But he also understands it intellectually. You know, in uh, a couple of years ago, before he ran for president, the, 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 uh, he was said to be, quote, obsessed with two books. One, 
How Democracies Die by Stephen Levitt and Daniel Zipblatt, who Harvard professors who've been on this show again and again, and whose book could not be more relevant to the choice that we may be facing in 2024. But the second book was White Working Class, Overcoming Class Cluelessness by Joan C. Williams. Uh, Biden was obsessed with this book uh, and with its picture of why it is that uh, trying to under she tries to understand what white working class voters are all about, and in the center of it, she she says they worry that opportunities for a good life are slipping away. In 1970. She points out 90% of 30-year-olds earn more than their parents at the same age. By 2014, only half did, from 90% to 50%. That's a fall in social hope. Uh, she, she, she points out something else very important about white working-class life, the battle for dignity. She says that white working class Americans are 73 percentage points lower than college graduates believing they're treated with dignity. In other words, they, they talk about the daily struggle for, uh, for uh, dignity that, that has to be uh, waged by them. She gives us an example, the doctor who unthinkingly patronizes the medical technician, or the, the, the harried office worker who treats the security guard as invisible. My own wife, Lois, was a secretary at Harvard University years ago, and she tells of a young man putting his head in the door of a professor's office. Lois is right there at a desk and saying, oh, there's nobody here. She was invisible. Lois has never forgotten that slight. That is part of what a classic book of the 70s called The Hidden Injuries of Class. And every working class person knows it. And I think Joe Biden knows it. Hmm. There's something a, a second ago that you said that really caught my attention because it triggered a memory in me, Jack. Um, but actually, first, I should acknowledge this question of dignity is a very, very important one. Uh Except I'm not quite sure what the answer is in terms of how to make people feel like they're being granted the dignity that we that we all deserve. Maybe that's for a future podcast, Jack. But when you talked about um, basically the the freezing, if not the the falling of social mobility uh, in America, uh, and that has you know being heaped on the working class more than anybody in this country. I remember back in 2016, there was a couple of polls uh, that showed that one of the strongest indicators of uh, who was likely to be and who ended up being a Trump voter was the amount of concern they had for their children's future. Mm. One of them was uh, there was a poll that came out uh, that said that asked, do you feel as if your children will be worse off than you? And amongst conservative Republicans, uh, this is from Newsweek, 76 percent of them just before the election, the 2016 election, felt that way. They were very concerned about their children's future. So I mean, with, with that, like, how, do we, how do we take that, Jack, um, and, uh, and, and push it 
forward, right? Because those fears are based on real things. But on the other hand, I would argue, and I've heard you say this too, Joe Biden is a, a president that's done more for those very uh, Americans than almost any president since FDR, right? With all the COVID relief, with the infrastructure bill, all that. So what will it take, do you think, um, for for those very voters you're speaking about to feel a greater sense of security and dignity? Uh, God, that is such a hard... I mean, <laughs> the president keeps waiting for people to say, hey, yeah, you did do the infrastructure bill. You did do this. You did do that. But their daily lives... That's not improving. You know, I, I saw a statistic the other day. Eggs are 30 percent more, 38 percent more than they were before the before the pandemic. I mean, 38 percent. That's a lot of that's a lot of dough for the eggs. And, you know, what Biden is fighting and what both the black working class and the white working class are fighting is capitalism. And and in a, in a new book called uh, The Age of Insecurity, Astra Taylor, a Canadian documentary filmmaker, writes, capitalism is an insecurity-generating machine. Joseph Schumpeter put it this way. He said, capitalism works by gales of creative destruction. And those gales have been blowing over American life without, without protection for a long time, really for two generations now, since the 1960s. And uh, they have made life insecure for everybody. It, but the, 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 the irony is, or at least the possibility is, for Biden to find a, a language that, appeal, that, that raises that fear and that says government is in the business of, of securing, of, of giving you some kind of security. Uh, and, and, he can, and he can look back to FDR. FDR in a, in a fireside chat said, I place the security of the men, women, and children of the nation first. People have a right, he said, a right to decent housing, productive work, and security against the hazards and vicissitudes of life. Maybe Joe Biden can find a way to put that last thought in Scranton talk but that's what people need, and that's the thing, insecurity, that binds these groups that seem to have so little in common. They have that in common, the insecurity generated by the gales of creative destruction that uh, drive capitalism. Mm, Jack, uh, that is so well put. And, uh, you know, if Joe, if Joe Biden can find that language that will resonate pe with people, that's a powerful first step. But then there's the other line. That's the line between the Republican Party and Democrats in Congress um, that may prevent any action being taken to help achieve that security for Americans. But again, another that's for a future podcast, I'm sure, <laughs> Jack. But, you know, this brings to mind, uh, I as always, we definitely want to hear from folks who uh, to listen to the jackpot, uh, as I call it, behind the scenes. And so, folks, if Jack's analysis of the line um, uh, described as, you know, the line that many white working class Americans see that they're waiting in and others being pulled forward, if that resonates with you in any way, um, let us know. 
because all you have to do is pick up your phone and get the on point Vox Pop app. If you don't have it, just look for on point Vox Pop wherever you get your apps. And tell us, tell us a story about your life, about the security or insecurity you feel. And also tell us about what you would need to hear from a presidential candidate that would make you believe that they recognize the line, they recognize the reality of your lives. Definitely want to hear all your thoughts on that. So send us a message on point Vox Pop app. That's how you're going to do it. Now, Jack. So I love how today's analysis links back to last week's podcast. Um, and I want you to know that we did receive a very searing message from a listener who heard last week's podcast on Black and Hispanic voters, and he does not pull any of his punches on what he thinks of President Biden. So we're going to hear that when we come back in just a moment. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com onpoint. That's Indeed.com onpoint. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. We're back. And Jack, as we mentioned last week, you really pulled apart the threads connecting some very worrisome poll numbers for President Biden when it comes to support amongst Black and Hispanic voters. And as always, I asked folks if they had any thoughts to share. And boy, did they ever. And so, Jack, here's the one that really grabbed me. Hi, my name is Lance and I'm an African-American voter. I'm calling from Cincinnati, Ohio. I voted for Joe Biden in 2020. I felt as though Trump as a man and as a president did not have the best interests of African-Americans. However, I have not been impressed nor pleased with Biden's performance. He did not get us the George Floyd Act. And I understand he doesn't run Congress, um, but he didn't use the bullet pulpit either. And I felt like he didn't marshal every resource that he could to make that happen, whether it's him or the vice president or just his administration as a whole. I'm not comfortable with him in 2024. I feel as though he's out of touch with not only younger voters, but African-American voters. Every four years, we'll have a politician come to our churches, come to our communities. But my question always is, where are you at in the meantime? Where are all the promises that you say you're gonna do? Where's all the relief for the communities? And I'm relatively disappointed in Biden. So for me, I'm voting Green Party, Cornell West, Although I do understand that, you know, he could be seen as a spoiler. I don't believe that the Democratic Party has my best interest. It's no way that they do. And if they do have my best interest at heart, they're just mind-blowingly inept at doing their job. And in that case, 
We don't need them. Wow. Oh, mm. what do you think of that, Jack? Oh my, Lance. Uh, he may be legion, you know, especially, <laughs> especially among young African. You know, polls show strong support for Joe Biden among. Uh, people, African-Americans and Hispanics over 50, and parlous support uh, among uh, people 18 to 30. Uh, I, I don't know if that's Lance's group, but uh, it, it, it sure sounds he's like he's got their blues about, uh, about Joe Biden. And, you know, he says something really important. Joe Biden didn't use the bully pulpit on the George Floyd Act. And why? Because he knows about the line. Mm. He knows if you make too much of a fuss about African-American and Hispanic voters, white working class voters are going to go stronger for Trump. He's trying to balance the, you know, the precarious Democratic coalition, which is, which is fraying on both sides because the balance just isn't working. The white working class, which is fading from the Democrats, and the black and Hispanic working class that's starting to move away from them. Yeah, such a good point, Jack. But of course, as we hear from Lance in Biden trying to strike that balance, to Lance, the it becomes an even more imbalanced America, right? When an opportunity to take very large strides forward regarding uh, justice and policing, I'm sure he, he's thinking of. Uh, Biden is willing to sacrifice that to hold that fractious coalition together, as you're talking about. Now, I also don't know how old Lance is, but he does sound like, uh, let's just put it, he sounds like he's younger than I am. <laughs> and <laughs> And you're exactly right, Jack, because I remember from the 2020 election in the primary season, right, where Joe Biden basically limped from New Hampshire down to <laughs> South Carolina and his campaign seemed completely moribund. But it was older black voters there who saved him from oblivion and then, you know, gave him the momentum that he needed. But on the other hand, I was just looking at some numbers this morning and this is from Brookings and there are other uh, demographic analyses that that show something similar. But as of 2028, so just five years from now, millennials mm. and Gen Z voters, all of them, regardless of race uh, or political leanings, will be 54% of the potential voters in America. By 2036, Ooh. they're going to be 60% of the potential voters wow. in America. Wow. So I would say that it would behoove the Democrats to pay attention to that shift and pay attention to the young lances of the world, right? Oh, yes, especially given the genetic character of political fealty. I mean, everybody points out that the, the, the party you're with in your youth, tend, you tend to stay with. Uh, uh, and and if, 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 if people are walking away from the Democrats now, young people, because Biden hasn't delivered, uh, that, that augurs very uh, uh, dimly for the Democrats in the future. Mm. Well, all right, Jack. As always, uh, you have left me with the frisson of intellectual insight with this conversation with you today. So give us a little tease. What's up for next week's podcast? Well, we're going to look at Trump's cacistocracy. <laughs> Trump's cacistocracy. I, I hear that's fingers around <laughs> all over America, all over podcast world, <laughs> trying to look that up right now. <laughs>
Well, that's defined as a state or society governed by its least suitable or competent citizens. Think Rudy Giuliani as attorney general. Think Steve Bannon as secretary of state. Trump's plan is to essentially make the country a cacistocracy, purging the civil service and replacing it with hacks loyal to him. That's what uh, that's what's going to be on the ballot in 2024, mm. among other things. Mm. Well, now I suddenly have also come up with a new potential podcast feature, which is Jack's vocab pop quiz for all you <laughs> all you dictionary loving on point listeners out there. Well, Jack Beatty on point news analyst, as always, thank you so much. And I'll talk to you next week. Great pleasure. Thank you. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and this is on point.